0: Thank you guys so much. I always love that. You know, I think you guys should follow me around when I go into the bank or something, have you guys clap like that. I think I'd get more respect that way. Um, To start tonight, I want to introduce somebody to you. Um, This is my friend, John. Um, We have been friends for 36 years. We actually met when when I was here helping kind of do pretty much what Matt does in terms of helping with a, a Christian student group back in the day. So we've been friends for 36 years, so when you look around, you may be sitting next to somebody who's going to be a lifelong friend for you. I love John. He's just such an awesome guy. He was a groomsman in our wedding. Um, we, he lives in San Diego now, so we don't get together as much as we would like, but every time we do, it's just a blast. Um, we have actually a, a trip, kind of a bucket list trip planned for ourselves at somewhere in the hopefully not too distant future. Our plan is to rent some Vespa um, scooters and ride almost the full length of Italy. Uh, uh, John speaks Italian. We uh, both have a great appreciation for beautiful places and fabulous food. So I'm hoping to pull that off in the next few years. You know, I'm not that interested in a lot of the, maybe the touristy things, but I do think that I would like to see the Sistine Chapel. It's just one of those things that I've heard a lot about. And every time I see the details, you know, pictures of it, I think that's so incredible. Uh, Probably the most famous image from the the Sistine Chapel is this one, which is an image really of, of God reaching down to create Adam. You know, there are many details when you look at this that are are kind of interesting. It really gives you a hint into maybe what Michelangelo thought, maybe his theology, which some of which was probably good and some maybe not so accurate. Um, But the part that I love and that I think he really captured well was that idea of God reaching down with strength and purpose, you know, really leaning out to impart life. Adam, by contrast, is just sort of Weakly reaching up, his arm kind of resting on his leg in a way for stability. And I think Michelangelo catches really the spirit that the Bible tells us about God reaching, God reaching again and again. You know, over these last weeks, you've been exploring the Old Testament, I understand, and focused on kind of understanding some of the more difficult, maybe to understand, parts of the Old Testament. Um, And I get that. You know, when you look at the New Testament and the Old Testament, you know, it's hard sometimes to make those things jive. It feels almost like when you turn the page from the book of Malachi to Matthew, it's like, did God change his game plan? You know, he came up with a different strategy or something at this point. You know, one of the ways that it seems different sometimes is that in the Old Testament, there seems to be such an emphasis on the, the nation of Israel, of God reaching out to them to bless them, to save them. I know David talked last week about that kind of that cycle that Israel was in, where they would sin, they would go into exile, they would repent, God would restore them, and then that whole cycle would go around again. In the New Testament, by contrast, it seems like that God is reaching out to the whole world with his message of hope and and restoration. So it seems almost like two plans. But if you look closer, you can see that it really is just one plan. You know, if I were to try to summarize that plan in just a few words, it would be this. You know, from the beginning, humans were created to have this amazing friendship with God, you know, just an amazing love relationship with him. But from the very beginning, um, we as people have all made really selfish and and stubborn kind of choices in our life. The Bible calls that sin. Really, on some level, we have said God, I wanna be my own God. You, you do your thing, I'm gonna do my thing. Um, and because of that, we, there's a, a barrier, a division between us and the perfectly holy God. Now God could've just rubbed it all out and started over. I sometimes think that might've been what I would've done. But God had a different plan. He loved the world so much that he, um, he had a plan to offer hope to the, to the world, to restore that relationship. His plan was first to raise up a people for himself, the nation of Israel, who would be an example, really a light for the world, kind of a beacon light, pointing to the one true God. And then when the time was right, he would, through that people, send his son, Jesus, to live a perfect life, the only life that wasn't marred by selfishness and and selfish choices. And then he would voluntarily take our penalty upon himself on the cross so that we might have hope and that that relationship with God could be restored. You know, that's the plan, the whole plan all along. When you look at the Old Testament, you really can see God's heart if you look close enough, you know, to reach out not just to Israel alone, but to the whole world. Um, God speaks to, the, to Isaiah the prophet in um, Isaiah 49.6. And he says to him, and really speaks to the prophet, and he speaks to the nation of Israel through them. He says, it is too small a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob. That would be Israel. And bring back those of Israel I have kept. I will also make you a light for the Gentiles. That's all the rest of us. And then he ends with, that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. You know, God's plan has always been that his plan of hope would reach to the ends of the world. Tonight, I wanna tell you some stories from the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. They're stories that might be familiar to some of you, but I'm really hoping tonight you can hear them in a different light, in a way. They're actually, you know, they are stories of God's protection and help for his children in really difficult times, but they're also examples of God reaching God reaching, in this case, out to a a, a stubborn, arrogant, selfish Babylonian king. Um, From these stories, I want to draw some lessons that you and I can learn about about how we need to be teachable. You know, when God reaches out to us with wisdom or hope or help, you know, we need to not be stubborn of heart. Proverbs chapter 4, verses 20 through 22 say, my son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart, for they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Tonight, I want us to look at three ways that God reaches out to us and teaches us, three ways that we can really learn in life. And I want to present them in kind of descending order with first being the very best way that you and I can learn and then working our way down from there. Um, the stories that I want to look at are found in the first four chapters of the book of Daniel. I think it's fascinating to me when I look at it. Those, when you look at those four chapters, there's only two characters that are in every one of the stories. One character is God. The other is a stubborn Babylonian king named Nebuchadnezzar. Now, Babylon was one of the most powerful empires in all of the ancient world. Um, and Nebuchadnezzar was just an incredible general. You know, they, they basically steamrolled country after country, nation after nation. Nobody really stood in his way. The Bible tells us that at one point that in his conquest, he captured the city of Jerusalem. And it tells us that he did something really interesting. Um, he ordered that young men of the nobility be chosen to be trained for a number of years and then go back to Babylon to serve him in his court. Um, He chose young men who were physically perfect. They were handsome. They were intelligent, you know, really the cream of the crop among young teenage guys in in Jerusalem. Among them were four men that you may have heard their names before, um, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Uh, Now, Nebuchadnezzar didn't know it, but God was going to use these four young men to to teach him a lesson, to teach him, give him a message that God really wanted him to grasp. Um, You see, Nebuchadnezzar lived in a time in which people just believed in lots of different gods. Every country, every city, really every family could have their own God. Um, And God, but God, the real God, had a message for Nebuchadnezzar. Essentially, if I were to paraphrase it, it would be this. Nebuchadnezzar, there is only one God, the God who made everything, and that's who I am. Now, you've been having a lot of success right now, but don't be arrogant. Your success is there because I have chosen to use you as an instrument to accomplish some things that I want to accomplish. I am the maker and breaker of empires. So that's essentially the lesson that God wants Nebuchadnezzar to hear. But like a lot of us, Nebuchadnezzar needs to grow in his teachability. So as our story begins, Nebuchadnezzar is having a recurring dream that's troubling him. It's making it so he can't sleep. Now, if you and I couldn't sleep, we would probably just drink some chamomile tea and maybe scan Instagram videos or something. But he's an ancient king, and so what he does is he calls um, his astrologers and sorcerers and magicians. And he says to them, I want you to tell me my dream and what it means. I kind of like Nebuchadnezzar from the beginning because he has this sort of healthy skepticism about him. And the magicians say something like, "O king, live forever. Tell us your dream and we will tell you the interpretation. So he then responds, I'm not going to change my mind. If you tell me the dream and its interpretation, I will give you great gifts and honor. But if you don't, you will be cut to pieces and your house is turned into rubble." I love these ancient kings because they're always more kind of like mafia dons in a way. (laughs) They're always like saying things like, "Okay, listen, kid, if you do this for me, I'll fill your bathtub with gold. But if you don't, I'm going to have you cut into little pieces and fed to my chihuahuas. You know, it's, it's always, there's nothing in between. It's always riches or death, you know. So um, the astrologers again say, great, just tell us the dream and we'll tell you what it means. And he says, I can tell you just trying to buy time because you see, I'm not going to change my mind about this. So if you tell me the dream, then I will know that you have the power to interpret it correctly. Well, the astrologers and everybody say, no king has ever asked for this, nobody can do this, only the gods and the gods aren't here. Well, this isn't the answer that Nebuchadnezzar wants to hear. So he orders that all the advisors and wise men in all of Babylon be killed. Now, because of the nature of this decree, this includes Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They weren't even at this little midnight meeting, but they're going to be killed with all the rest. So Daniel hears about it and he basically asks for time. He asks his friends to pray and he prays. And in the night, God gives him a vision. And the next day, he goes to Nebuchadnezzar and Nebuchadnezzar says, Can you tell me the dream and its interpretation? Now, if it was me, I would have just blurted right out, yes, and here it is. But Daniel kind of starts in a different way. He says, no wise man, enchanter, or diviner can explain to the king the mystery he's asked about. Now, you can just imagine Nebuchadnezzar's blood boiling, going, this is what the others said. But then Daniel says, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. So Daniel goes on to tell him his dream a dream he's not told to anyone else. He tells it in perfect detail and then gives him the interpretation. Essentially, the dream is that Nebuchadnezzar has been seeing this giant statue that's made up of different kind of metals and elements and clay at the feet, and then a big rock comes and smashes it all. And And Daniel explains to him that really the, the message is that that Nebuchadnezzar's empire or his his, his legacy there is going to be the first of many empires to come and go. But that the kingdom of God will last forever and be eternal. The Bible says that when Nebuchadnezzar hears this, he falls prostrate before Daniel. And in verse, chapter 2, verse 47, he says, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries for you were able to reveal this mystery. He then made Daniel ruler over the province, really kind of the mayor of the city of Babylon. And at Daniel's recommendation, uh, Nebuchadnezzar promotes Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So initially, Nebuchadnezzar has the opportunity to learn in the absolute best way possible, which is to learn from God's truth. That's your first fill in the blank. Um, Here, Nebuchadnezzar receives a direct message from God, and he has the opportunity to get the message and to humble himself, and he does a little bit, but it doesn't seem to last, and it's not really complete. Um, Now, Nebuchadnezzar received a truth from God that was custom-made for him and directly said to him, which isn't really how we mostly get truth from God, but I think we have something even better. We have the Bible. And and the Bible is full of God's wisdom and knowledge and instructions that he wants us to learn about life. You know, amazing lessons, lessons like love your enemies, forgive, cast your cares on God, be humble, worship only God, tell the truth, be strong and courageous, live a life of faith, don't worry about tomorrow. You know, they're teachings that make sense and that make life make sense. Psalm 19.7 says, the instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. The decrees of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. You know, we have at our fingertips every day God's truth. And if we're teachable, We aren't promised a charmed life. We're definitely not promised a a life with no pain in it, but we can begin to live life the way that God intended it to be lived. And that's pretty awesome. You know, as I get older, I realize that in my life, and as I look around at the people around me, you know, so many wounds in life that we experience are self-inflicted. They're based on things, choices that we make that hurt ourselves if we've listened to God and are teachable to his word, to to the message that he gives, you know, it helps protect us from those things, keeps us from shooting ourselves in the foot all the time. You know, when Jesus was here on earth and he taught, people were amazed at his wisdom. In Mark chapter one, verse 22, it says, the people were amazed at his teaching for he taught with real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. Jesus taught with authority because he was authority. Now, there are two main definitions of the word authority. One is to be somebody who has sort of rightful power, um, a king, a ruler, an emperor. And Jesus certainly was that. He was the king of kings. But there's a second meaning of authority, which is the idea of being the expert at something. We talk about somebody being the foremost authority. Maybe the foremost authority on K-pop or something like that. And we know that that person knows more about K-pop than anyone else in the world. Um, They're the foremost authority. Here, let me show you a picture. This is Bear Grylls. Um, I, I know he's had a number of shows, but I always watched him back on Man vs. Wild. That was kind of the classic one. He would always get uh, dropped into these like crazy environments, you know, the Brazilian rainforest or a deserted island or the Arctic tundra, and he would show us how to live and survive in those situations. He's uh, an authority, an expert on surviving in the harshest environments. I remember sometimes, you know, he would often he had that Irish accent, and he would kind of get down in the camera, just like really close, <laughs> and he would say like, oh. You see this plant right here? This plant is deadly poison. One bite of it, you'll be dead in an hour. Now, see this plant right here? Now, this one is really good. It's sweet. It's a good source of protein, very beneficial. And I'm at home going, those look exactly alike to me. (laughs) If I was there, I could never tell them apart. But he can tell the difference because he's the authority. He's the expert. Now, if I was ever dropped into a jungle with bear grills, there's one thing you would never hear me say, which is I would never say, "You know what, bear? Um, you know what i'm I've been here about ten minutes now, and you know, I think I got the lay of the land, and uh, I know you're saying to go that way, but I'm going that way, so good luck with your trip. No, I am not saying that. I am sticking to him like glue, and I'm gonna do anything that he says because Without him, I'm lost. Without him, I'm as good as dead. You and I need to begin to see Jesus, see God as that kind of authority on life. You know, he made us. He knows us. He made life. He understands life perfectly. You and I have been here about 10 minutes. We need to begin to see God as that authority and follow the things that he teaches us. If, if we look to the truth in the Bible and believe it and do what it says, that's by far the best way to learn. Back to our story. So in Daniel chapter three, we see that although Nebuchadnezzar was impressed with Daniel and being able to interpret the dream, he seems to kind of have missed the point because somehow he now is, has built a giant statue made out of gold and uh, he's, it's 90 feet high and 9 feet wide. And it, we don't know if it's solid gold or gold-plated or gold leaf, but it is big and it's golden. And Nebuchadnezzar decrees that when the worship band plays, when their version of Jesse and Slaney play, everyone has to fall down and bow and worship this giant statue. And he says that if you don't do this, then you'll be thrown into a blazing furnace, because he is an ancient king. Now, the, be- the Babylonians were really skilled at metallurgy. They had these big smelting furnaces, giant things, kind of shaped like a beehive or maybe like a giant traffic cone with a hole in the top. And so the idea was you, they got a big fire going in there, and you could dump raw ore in the top, and then pure ore could come out at the bottom. Well, people don't hold up quite as well in that process. So the word comes to Nebuchadnezzar that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not going to participate in this little worship service. Now, we don't know where Daniel was. Daniel wouldn't have participated either, but he's not mentioned in the story, so I'm assuming he was off traveling or something somewhere. Um, But these three young guys are there, and, and Nebuchadnezzar calls them to him and reminds them of the penalty for not following their direc- his directions. And they re- their response, I think, is one of the most beautiful speeches in all the Bible. I'm just going to read it. They say, O Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to save us from it, and he will rescue us from your hand, O king. But even if he does not, We want you to know, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold that you've set up. You know, they say to him really that, you know, our God is able to save us, but we have no promise that he's going to. Even so, we're going to do the right thing. Well, this is not the answer that Nebuchadnezzar wants to hear. And in a fit of temper, he orders that the the furnace be heated up seven times hotter than usual. They're, these three young guys are bound in ropes, and soldiers carry them up and throw them in the top. The Bible tells us that the, the heat escaping from the furnace is so hot that it kills the soldiers who threw them in. Bad job, huh? Um, Nebuchadnezzar's down at the bottom, and he looks in, and he, when he looks in, he sees three figures Um unbound, walking around inside the furnace. And he says there's a fourth one in there that looks like a servant of, uh, uh, looks like a son of the gods. So he calls to them and he says, servants of the most high God, come out. And these guys come out, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they're unbound, they're unharmed, their hair, their clothes is not singed. They don't even smell like smoke, it says. You know, if I sit by a campfire and roast a marshmallow, I come away smelling like a chimney. And these guys smell just like they stepped out of the shower. So Nebuchadnezzar is is overwhelmed, and he makes an amazing speech. He says in Daniel 3.28, he says, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's command and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the god of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into rubble. But then he ends with, for no other god can save in this way. Nebuchadnezzar experiences the second way that we can be teachable. And that is that you can learn from the examples around you. Nebuchadnezzar has this incredible opportunity up, to be up close and personal with some amazing examples. Really three amazing examples. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego demonstrate for this, this hard-hearted king what it means to be people of faith. People of conviction. People who stand by what they believe no matter what. And it really impresses Nebuchadnezzar. Um, You and I need to learn from the the examples around us. You know, first, to learn from the good examples, to think about who are some good examples in my life of people around me. Um, Hebrews 13, 7 says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. You know, I want to challenge you to identify people that you admire, people who are moving through life in a successful way, and learn from them. You know, what are their priorities? You know, what are their routines? What do they include in their life? What do they exclude from their life? You know, learn from these good examples. Now, be careful about how you define success, because there's lots of people that look good on the outside, Maybe they have the bank account, they have the car, they're good looking, they're funny, they maybe have even the ministry. But if you peel back the veneer just a little bit, you can see that their life is full of broken relationships and regrets. Make sure you define success rightly. And when you find someone, especially whose life is characterized by the fruit of the spirit, you know, it's a life that's full of love and joy and peace, and patience, and kindness, and goodness, and self-control. You know, when you find those people, learn from them. You can also learn from bad examples what not to do. First um, 1 Timothy 1.19 says, cling to your faith in Christ and keep your conscience clear. For some people have deliberately violated their consciences. As a result, their faith has been shipwrecked. Back in the 1990s, there were kind of inspirational posters were the fad. You see them still sometimes in people's offices. Um, Things like this one. Challenge. Always set the trail. Never follow the path. It's a good one. Or this one. Motivation. Don't get discouraged. It's only the last key in the bunch that opens the lock. Kind of nice. Um, There's a company called Despair.com that makes mock versions of these, and they look like the real thing, but when you read them closer, you realize that they're kind of just a twisted joke on it. Um, I I saw one that made me laugh and also think. It was this one. Mistakes. It could be that the purpose of your life is only to serve as a warning to others. (laughs) I saw that one, and I went, oh. Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, You know, that, that really there is a reality of that, you know, in learning from the mistakes that other people make. You know, one of the wisest things that we can do is to notice when somebody blows up their life, when somebody brings suffering and pain into their life and say, how did that person get here? I'm not doing that. You know, that's a wise thing. Teachable people learn from the examples around them. They learn from the good examples what to do. They learn from the bad examples what not to do. Back to our story. So Nebuchadnezzar is learning about God, but he's not willing to humble himself before God yet. Um, The story goes on to tell us that Nebuchadnezzar has another dream that troubles him. And this time he invites Daniel to come and he tells Daniel the dream this time. He doesn't make Daniel pray and figure it out. He knows Daniel can understand and interpret dreams. So he tells Daniel the dream and Daniel hears the dream and interprets it for the king. But he does it with a really heavy heart because he explains to the king that it's a prophecy and that Nebuchadnezzar is going to lose his sanity and be driven away from his family Away from his people, and will live in the wilderness and eat grass and live with wild animals, and the the dew will, will soak his body. And Daniel cares about this king. He really has come to love him. And so he pleads with the king to renounce his sins, to do the right thing, and maybe God won't do it. Well, nothing happens. Nebuchadnezzar doesn't change, and the judgment doesn't seem to come. Then one year later, Nebuchadnezzar is walking on the roof of his royal palace and looking out at the incredible city of Babylon, which by all accounts was amazing. These beautiful hanging gardens, incredible towers, um, the walls of the city were 300 feet high and 80 feet thick, you know, just a, an incredible city. And he looks out and he says, is, this, is not this the great Babylon I have built as my royal residence? by my mighty power, and for the glory of my majesty. And the Bible says that the words were still on his lips when he heard a voice reminding him of Daniel's words, and instantly the dream came true. He loses his sanity. He's driven out into the wilderness where the Bible says that his hair grew like eagle's feathers and his fingernails like the claws of a bird. Um, He's just out there... In the wilderness. As some scholars actually believe that he was out there for perhaps three and a half years living that way. Then at the end of that time, a change happens. And the Bible amazingly records it in Nebuchadnezzar's own words. Um, I'll just read it. He says, At the end of that time, I, Nebuchadnezzar, raised my eyes toward heaven, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High. I honored and glorified him who lives forever. His dominion is an eternal dominion. His kingdom endures from generation to generation. All the peoples of the earth are regarded as nothing. He does as he pleases with the powers of heaven and the peoples of earth. No one can hold back his hand or say to him, what have you done? At the same time that my sanity was restored, My honor and splendor were restored to me for the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles sought me out and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. And then in verse 37, he finishes with a confession. He says, now I, Nebuchadnezzar, praise and exalt and glorify the king of heaven because everything he does is right and all his ways are just. And those who walk in pride he is able to humble. Nebuchadnezzar finally learns the lesson that God wanted him to learn all along. I find this just to be a beautiful picture of a humbled man in the presence of the all-powerful, all-loving God. You know, the man who writes these words is not the same man, I'm convinced of that. He's not the same man who met those four young guys in in Israel. Um, He's not the same arrogant person. You know, he's finally learned the lesson that God reached out to teach him. You know, to learn it, he had to go through the third and fi- or last way, which is to learn from personal pain and experience. You know, while it's not an ideal way to learn, sometimes it seems like it's the only way that we can get the message. Um, when we ignore God's truth, the wisdom that he says to us, when we don't pay attention and learn from the examples around us, we're sometimes forced to go through the fire of suffering in order to learn the life lesson that we need. So what I've shared with you tonight is really a hierarchy of teachability. When God reaches out to teach us wisdom, you know, how well do we learn? Um, The best way to learn is simply to hear God's truth, believe it, and adjust your life to, to come in line with it. That's absolutely the best way. If we won't do that, we can learn from the examples around us. We can learn from the good examples of people finding happiness and success. We can also learn from the bad examples of people making unwise choices and and suffering because of that. Um, If we won't learn from those, we may have to go through and experience pain and then, then hopefully learn from that experience. There's actually a fourth thing that I didn't even include because it's just too sad, and that is to not even learn from our own personal pain and experience, to continue to go back and make the same mistake again and again and again. Um, that, that's just too sad, so I didn't include that. Robert Brault is a writer who has a lot of smart quotes that I like, and he wrote, "'It's a mistake when life hands you a tough lesson, to think that you can get back at life by not learning it. Let's not be like that. You know, after many lessons, many times of God reaching, um, Nebuchadnezzar eventually got the message that God wanted him to get. Um, let's do better than him and embrace God's wisdom just a lot earlier in that process to understand that he is the authority and the expert and that he loves us, that when he, he asks us to do something, It's out of love not to try to control us. You know, from the very beginning, God has been reaching, reaching down out to give life, to give hope, to give wisdom, you know, to save and to love. God is still reaching. You know, my prayer is that all of us would respond to that loving reach. Why don't you pray with me? Father God, we are so grateful that you are so loving and kind to us, that you care for us in so many ways. Father, we're grateful that you see our life in perfect clarity. Father, you see where we've come. You see where we're headed and that we can trust you, Father. Help us, God, to to respond and to be teachable people. We thank you for the example that you gave us in your word of you reaching out to Nebuchadnezzar. Help us, Father, to be better than that to listen early on and to respond to you. God, we're grateful for for your care for us. We love you and we ask you continue to work in our lives. We pray this in Christ's name, amen.